Welcome to Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. What does it take to lead yourself and your teams to high performance with ease? Today, you'll discover simple practices that separate exceptional leaders from the rest. Now, here is your host, Nicole Bendeley. Hi there. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Leading on Purpose. I'm Nicole Bendeley, and I am so thrilled that you've joined me again for another episode. Um, it's, you know, the last week of January. I can't believe it. Where has the time gone? I, I swear I blink and it's the end of the month. And if you're like me or like most people I know, you just feel like you're running, 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 running all day long. And uh, sometimes we run it up against some barriers that we weren't expecting, right? Especially in these uncertain times where you think you know what you're going to expect at work on Monday morning and you have your plan for your week set and then all of a sudden, you know, your plans are thrown out the window and you're focusing on the issue of the moment or an unexpected situation. And so today I'm so excited that our guest today is Catherine Hosey, one of only three coaches in the U.S. qualified at a master's level to offer evidence-based coaching psychology to our clients. Catherine partners with successful leaders in re-injecting meaning, authenticity, and sustainability into how they lead their organizations, including learning complex adaptive leadership approaches required for our changing world. This, the skills, the knowledge, the support that Catherine brings and is going to share with us today is more important than ever before. And I can't wait to dive in with you, Catherine. Catherine, welcome to the program. Thank you, Nicole. It's good to be here. And, um, you know, I love starting our shows with really getting to know our guests a little bit, Catherine. So tell us a little bit about your journey. What led you to becoming a coach, working with leaders to work through complex problems? And, and what's, most, what's motivating to you? What gets you up every day to continue to help leaders? Well, uh, the, the journey's been a long one, so I'll be as succinct as I can with the journey um, and then coming back to what motivates me. Uh, I started coaching in 2003. I had a coach prior to that, and um, I'd been doing a lot of work on myself with professional development until, you know, from the age of 18 through to about 32, 33. Um, and uh, at that time, my coach actually suggested that I become a coach because um, he had seen the work I'd done on myself and he was running techniques by me to get my point of view on what he was <laughs> using with other clients. And um, so I started off coaching in 2003 and I was um, uh, 33 going on 34 at that time. And I started off with private coaching and then started to work with more and more sophisticated clients. And uh, around 2007, I started diagnosing leaders over time, I came to find that the more intelligent my clients were, first of all, the more I enjoyed them. Um, mm -hmm. Secondly, the easier it was to work with them. I found that they would grasp ideas so quickly. They would implement things. They would turn things into internet action. They had a lot of experience to hang things from. So I became really drawn to working with the most intelligent people I could. During that time, too, I started uh, studying complexity and systems theory and so on as part of my Master's of Evidence-Based Coaching Psychology. And that led me to realising the importance, this is 2013, of being able to deal with complexity 
And at the time, I really dug my heels and I didn't like complexity. I wanted yeah. to pretend it didn't exist. And um, I found that I really started to shift my thinking. And so what I'm finding now in you know 2021 is the time is now uh, has now come where we're absolutely living in a very complex world and uh, the things that I learned over the past eight years are now more important than ever. Um, what motivates me is helping leaders become, first of all, know themselves at the deepest level that they can in terms of what their strengths are, what their personal values are, what their biases are, what their weaknesses are, where they can actually grow themselves, where they actually need to scaffold themselves with leaning on other people. Um, so the more a leader can know themselves, the more they can actually start to turn that into a leadership philosophy where it's this is what matters to me as a leader, this is why I lead the way I do, this is how it shows up for me. Um, because the clearer they are around their leadership philosophy, the more they can lead into having a certain confidence around that. And then we can also still work on building that out. It doesn't become a sort of a static thing. It's like, okay, what next? What else is emerging for you as a leader? Um, so bottom line, I love helping people understand how they're naturally wired, where they're naturally energized, and to become that on purpose because it's a lot more sustainable. I love that. I want to come back to that, Catherine, around uh, discovering our own personal leadership philosophy and how we are each naturally wired and how do we discover our strengths, right, through that. And and, uh, because that's so powerful. You know, you you mentioned um, evidence-based coaching psychology. So I want to understand that a little bit. Can you talk a bit about the difference between popular psychology coaching and evidence-based coaching psychology and why should this difference matter to Mm. to leaders? Mm. Well, it's a difference that's actually not even on the radar for the majority of people being coached. Um, The the difference, uh, where do I begin? Um, There's a lot of wonderful coaching being done and it comes from different sources and uh, there are a lot of very wise wonderful coaches that are available using different approaches. The thing is with evidence-based coaching psychology, it's uh, using approaches that have been proven to be effective, using all sorts of types of research over the years, drawing from business, drawing from psychology, uh, drawing from like organizational development and applying that to coaching If we're not using an evidence-based coaching psychology approach, what we're frequently depending on or what coaches are frequently depending on are things that they've read in books, um, ideas that might sound effective, ideas that might have worked for them, um, what they might have learned at their their coach training program and their various degrees of uh, expertise in those coach training programs. But what they're often not applying is approaches that have been proven to be effective. So I work with clients in certain ways that are building on what's been proven to be effective um, rather than just hoping something will work with this particular person. So there's often a lot of things going on in the background as I'm working with people about what's actually going on here and what approach will be most effective. Interesting. Okay. That makes that makes a lot of sense to me. And so since we're talking a little bit about your practice, what are you seeing now? You know, in particular now, um, however many months in, almost a year into 
to COVID. What's the biggest issue, common theme, so to speak, that you're seeing from leaders right now? Mm. Well, there are several. Um, when it comes, like, let's start with the personal side of mm-hmm, uh, leadership. Um, so one of the primary challenges that leaders are facing right now is how do I actually lead my people? How do I actually feel enthusiastic myself when I wake up at the beginning of January and it's another year of this? Um, how much can we control at the moment versus how much do we need to just let emerge? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, how do I keep the hope going? And uh, yeah. when we don't actually have a lot of control over uh, what we're going through, we don't know when it's going to end. We don't know what it's going to be on the other side. So a lot of um, a lot of questions around what we can control and what we can't control. Hope, how to inspire people, how to motivate people, uh, and also, yeah. sorry, and also, ahead. and if I can just uh, elaborate, also how to deal with an Im- an increasingly complex world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's dive into that, Catherine. Can we talk about hope for a little bit? Because mm-hmm. I think that's something that just <laughs> resonates with so many people on so many different levels, right? Yeah. Um, not just the pandemic. And so how do you how do you support leaders? What are some things that leaders can do themselves when they're struggling with maintaining a sense or creating a sense of hope for themselves and with their teams? Mm. Well, there are a lot of different ways of looking at this. I mean, let's start off again with the the leader themselves. A stable, calm leader will have a massive impact on an organization, Mm -hmm. whereas a a highly anxious, triggered uh, triggered, uh, unstable leader will actually create a uh, highly anxious organisation. So now more than ever, the leader's ability to remain calm, focused, to have more of a wisdom around what they're doing, um, to have practices in place, what I call peak performance habits around sleep, hydration, meditation. Uh, These are things that become, if, if people want to take it on at the level I encourage them to, it becomes part of their role. How do they calm themselves down? How do they keep perspective? Mm. Something I find really interesting is that the leaders that I appreciate the most at the moment are the ones that actually have a, an interest in history, the leaders that read history and the leaders that have like that long-term view It's what I call perspective-taking capacity and that ability to say, oh, yes, I read about this in the past or this is just the same thing that happened, you know, two centuries ago. Um, Because when we can look at what we're going through right now, not just as, oh, this is something that has never happened before and none of us know what to do and none of us know what's going to happen, um, actually saying, well, no, we've all been through these times before and how can we bring Mm -hmm. that level of calm and perspective to our team? So that's what I encourage for the leader themselves. Um, how do we actually bring hope to organisations? Is that one of the questions as well? Or? Yes, please, yeah. yes. Well, I'm pausing because there's a couple of different ways that we come at it. Um, if a team is high-functioning and it's established and the team has confidence in their ability to 
go after the results that they're, you know, go after results and, and get a result. Um, it's important just to have good habits in place with that team. And um, what do we actually do to keep things running smoothly? How do we keep ourselves aligned? How do we stay in communication? Um, how do we have the checkpoints that we need? The difference is when a team is not confident or stable um, and hasn't experienced a lot of wins in the past, mm-hmm. it becomes really important not to have large goals during this time. So there's a lot of teams that are in transition or they don't really have um, a sense of their own capacity or capability. It's much more important at the moment to go for achievable goals. And then have the team set out to actually reach that achievable goal because that will also increase their sense of agency or self-belief. And then we can have another achievable goal and then the team reaches that achievable goal and, again, their self-confidence increases. So there are three things that increase hope. One is achievable goals, which are particularly important when the team needs more confidence. The second thing that is needed for hope is a sense of agency and self-belief of if we set out to do something, we can actually do it and a positive track record. And the third thing that can help during times like these is creating multiple pathways. And that is, okay, we've got this achievable goal. We believe we can actually get it. And how can we have a plan A and a plan B and a plan C? The more pathways we have to achieving that goal, the better. The thing that's really important, however, is to be really clear about only using one of those pathways at once. Mm-hmm. Okay, right now we're going on pathway A. You know, if we have to change, I will tell you when. We will know when we're changing. But for right now, let's just focus on this, path, this pathway. But there's that sense of we have safety nets underneath us and that will really help. Wow. Okay. I'm learning through you so much right now. So I just want to unpack this. I want to go back to something you said um, a few minutes ago that really, really resonated that I want to underscore here. You said, you know, for a leader, calming themselves down, right? Approaching work and your team from a sense of calm, focus, and, and perspective, right? is one of the primary roles of a leader, right? And for me, that's practicing, you know, leading self first and being highly mindful, highly aware and of how you're showing up and consciously choosing to show up in a way that will bring calm, that will bring focus and bring a sense of urgency when needed and definitely energy. It's not that we're all, you know, lying around meditating, but, mm-hmm. but it's, to, it's to create that sense of we've got this, we're in this together and we'll get through it um, as, as opposed to a sense of, of panic. Did I, did I understand that correctly? Absolutely. You, you know, you're, you're right on the money there. And so many leaders, uh, particularly when they're anxious, they they default to their traits that don't help them. Mm-hmm. So much of the focus can become on what are we getting done, what are we doing, what are we doing, what are we doing as a leader, and I'm much more interested in who are we being. Are we being calm? Are we being a safe place to fall? Are we the kind of leader where people can be honest with us about, you know, where they're having difficulty, you know, uh, the struggles that they might be finding on their team? Um, 
are we encouraging uh, one of the primary ways to help your people avoid burnout, particularly during times like these, is to increase appreciation. If you're a leader that's demonstrating appreciation, you know, the chances of your people burning out is going to go way down. Um, The thing is, it's really hard to appreciate our people when we're strung out and anxious and always looking at what's not working versus what is working. And so one of the practices, if I can just kind of uh, yeah, for a moment, is um, looking more at appreciative inquiry, which is starting meetings with, you know, what's working? Where is it working? Where are we getting in better? You know, where can we, you know, continue to improve? And it doesn't have to be the whole meeting, but just starting with what's working uh, can also help people feel more confident. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I often share with leaders is if you only do one thing, (laughs) right, after my conversation, after our conversation together, you know, in a coaching session or whatever it might be, or in a workshop, if you only do one thing, ask more questions from a genuine, right, from from a sense of curiosity and, and genuine desire to appreciate, to learn to recognize strengths or to, you know, move forward and improve together. And so that appreciative inquiry approach, right, is is so powerful. Um, And we don't take enough time, right, to to appreciate what we're already doing well, what we're working, and what we can continue to do more of, right? Exactly. It can be used in a team setting. It can also be used on one, you know, during one-on-ones and and having the person you're working with saying, you tell me first, what's working? Where are you getting better? I love that. So we're going to come back more with Catherine in a minute. And we're going to dive even deeper into um, leading on purpose with Catherine Hosey. Okay, we'll be right back. Stay tuned. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Leading a team today can be hard, but it doesn't have to be a struggle. With Kenco's self-paced e-course, Leading High Performance Teams, you'll gain everything you need to build the cohesion, communication, and engagement needed for your team to thrive. Right now, save 30% off the e-course. Plus, Nicole, host of Leading on Purpose, is including two coaching sessions with her at no extra charge. Use promo code VA30 when you visit kand.co slash ecourse. That's promo code VA30. Would you like a complimentary strategy session with Leading on Purpose host Nicole Bendeley? Nicole and her team have been making it possible for leaders to achieve exceptional results with ease for over 40 years. Nicole will help you to discover what's getting in your team's way from even better results and will share with you the simple practices that will make a big difference to your performance and theirs. Visit kand.co slash strategy and book your session with Nicole today. That's kand.co slash strategy. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned into Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. Find out more about Nicole and her company, K&Co, and check out her suite of leadership tools and resources at kand.co. Now, back to Leading on Purpose. 
All right, welcome back. Hey, I just want to let you all know that um, you can learn more about Catherine at her website, Powerhouse dash coaching.com and um, you can learn all about how Catherine helps leaders um, in today's complex world. So before break, Catherine, we were talking about hope and and during break, Catherine, you were you were telling me a little bit about how hope is an emotional construct. Is that right? And that um. we or not? Oh, well, it's um, thanks for bringing that up because I was, I was just saying to Nicole on the break that um, a lot of people think that hope is an emotion, which it is, but hope is also a mental construct. Mental construct. Sorry a about mental that. construct. It was um, it was researched and developed by a guy called Charles Schneider, but but that's that that's where he came up with the three things that were actually proven to be effective was the achievable goals, uh, the sense of agency or self belief, and thirdly, the multiple pathways being the formula for hope as a mental construct and how you can create it. Interesting. Well, I'm sure we could spend, you know, hours talking about hope and um, it really, really is important. And I'm wondering how answering the question, you know, what matters most going back to appreciative inquiry to a degree, Mm -hmm. right? How can answering the question, whether as a leader or with our teams, you know, what matters most? How can that help leaders either break through indecision or bring hope or why is that question important? Mm. It's important for several reasons. Um, So much of the time when leaders come up against a problem, they try to solve it. But what that solution does is just create a new problem. So, um, <laughs> so the ability to step back when we have a problem and actually zoom out, it does a couple of things. First of all, it gives us that perspective taking capacity of seeing the long term, seeing, you know, the outcome that we're aiming for, uh, seeing the big picture and how things are related. Um, what it also does in the moment is normally when I work with leaders, I have a very clear sense of their values because we've we've actually worked on that together right from the start of the coaching engagement. Um, and so when we have more time, we can dig into what matters most as it relates to your values. But asking what matters most when it comes to this decision, what matters most about what we're going to we're about to do here um, is a shortcut to actually having the person understand what they truly value. And I normally find that when I'm working with a leader and they're kind of coming up with some pretty interesting ideas that I think are going to have unintended consequences, by asking, hang on, what matters most right here and right now with what you choose to do, they come to a wiser decision than what they would have if they hadn't stepped back. Interesting. And how does that, yeah, it's a powerful question, right? What matters most? Mm. What what matters most right now? What matters most, you know, yeah. to our strategy, to our values, to our whatever it might be. It's it's such yeah. a powerful, powerful question. And so that leads me really to thinking about mindfulness mm. as it relates to navigating complexity and uncertainty and 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 hope. Um, why is, what is mindfulness? Because I think we all have different interpretations perhaps of what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And, and why is it an important part of, of being a successful leader, especially now? Mindfulness has gone from being kind of this crazy idea. I remember seeing something 
in the news probably 15 years ago about you know mindfulness now becoming an important you know something that was important to leaders and it seemed like such a a strange idea but these days if a leader wants to create a stable organization their focus on mindfulness will help them do a, a lot of things first of all it'll allow them to calm themselves down in any moment mm. It'll allow them to become self-aware when they're doing things that they know don't work, when they're having those knee-jerk reactions. Uh, they will be able to notice their biases coming up. They'll be able to create a moment between thinking and speaking. Uh, they're able to hold themselves together internally and also um, be braver. Mm. There are so many organisations, Nicole, um, that I see what I what I refer to as anxious organisations, and I'll frequently go into these anxious organisations and watch people reacting and trying to dance around an anxious leader, and it's just uh, it's just so apparent what it does to the entire organisation when the leader can't manage themselves. Um, hmm. Can you say more about mindfulness and bravery? How does being mindfulness enable us to be more brave? I love that. Oh, yeah, I love, I love that too. Uh, the, the thing that when we're able to be mindful, we're also able to calm ourselves down and self-soothe in the moment. If we're able to be calm, we can go into conflict more readily, we can enjoy an argument, we can pay attention to the way it's unfolding and, and how it's making us feel and, and reminding ourselves that it's not personal. Um, I'm thinking of a wonderful client who I just so enjoyed and one of the reasons why I enjoyed him so much was because he was willing to engage in conflict and we would work together and we would sometimes have these periods where we would stay in disagreement for quite a few minutes as we strove to understand each other. And he was a really brave man and I appreciated him because he could stay in conflict and talk it through without disengaging from me. And that, that's a really rare trait. It really is. And it's so important, you know, when I, when, uh, the, when I work with teams and they say, oh, we have no conflict. Really? You know, is that a good thing? Right. We want, we want meaningful conflict, right? We don't want unproductive. We need those healthy, that healthy tension, the disagreements and, exactly. and absolutely, right. That's what, that's what drives us forward. And unless we're mindful, yeah. it, it turns into an emotional reaction as exactly. opposed to a dialogue. Exactly, or sort of something where we we cover our, our our little pain points and nerve endings because we're afraid of being exposed, or we have these fears around, you know, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of imposter syndrome going on in organisations yes. at levels that people would never imagine. Yes, mm. I, I that's something I struggle with is imposter mm. syndrome. I'll just put that right out out there. That's a long journey for me, but yeah. um, and I think it's many very common. it's very common, right? And I think mm. yeah, and I think we tend to assume that it's only women who are dealing with imposter syndrome, no. but I think we all you know it's everywhere. It's everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, can you share a few tips, Catherine? Because this mindfulness. It doesn't have to be, I mean, a mindfulness practice can be very simple. It doesn't require, you know, 30 minutes of, of meditating every morning or what have you. Mm. It could. For me, meditation is, 
is is essential um, for my my mental health and well being. Um, but it's not for everybody. And so, what are some things that leaders who may not be, you know, uh, attuned to mindfulness or have any practices at their disposal? How what are some things that they could just start trying and doing? Mm. Well. The first thing I do recommend is that where possible, people actually do start like a meditation practice. And before you kind of discount what I'm saying, like, because I know a lot of people are probably thinking, I don't want to meditate. You know, it's very common to have that response. Um, I normally with people recommend that they only do 10 minutes a day. Mm -hmm. And I've found over the years that when people do 10 minutes a day, they're normally able to sustain it because it's not asking too much of them. Exactly. When they try to then do the bigger, better, faster, more thing with their meditation practice, they normally start having 15 minutes and 20 minutes and half an hour, and then think the whole thing becomes unwieldy and unsustainable and it falls over. So I normally recommend keeping it really, really brief, um, 10 minutes, and, and also be okay with not doing it well, the consistency being more important than, you know, feeling as though you have to do it at a certain level. Um, normally also... Um, Regular exercise mm-hmm. is, um, is also a great way to regulate ourselves. Um, something else which might seem a little bit sort of ordinary but is really important is how hydrated are we. There's um, research uh, being done or has been done on uh, dehydration being directly related to depression and uh, anxiety. Yeah, and I think that's really, I always find when someone has a lot of anxiety, I'll always check, okay, how hydrated are you? Are you absolutely guzzling because it will help you? Um, And um, even getting sufficient time off, one of the things I've found Mm -hmm. with a lot of the clients I work with is they tend not to take enough time to restore themselves. And so a lot of the clients I end up working with, um, I work with end up taking off, for example, one week every quarter, one week every four months. Um, several days throughout a month, but as a, a practice so that they can actually step away from things and get that perspective taking capacity that I mentioned as well. Are you seeing that so important? And are you seeing that's becoming, I mean, uh, I'll just speak for myself. I haven't taken time off because it's, you know, mm-hmm. where do you go? Right. Yeah. But that concept of staycation and unplugging yeah. um, is, is really important now. Um, and I find that people are doing less of it because I may as well just work, <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, I'm hearing that a lot. Yeah, a lot of people are feeling, well, you know, I want to kind of save my time off when I can go and do something and so on. But I see a lot of people grinding it out and it's like this person needs perspective. Yeah. And um, to be able to step back and remember that their role isn't the center of the universe and, and to bring a sense of humor to their work. Um, so it's, it's super important and, and to, you know, it might be a forcing function to actually find it, find a hobby, get on masterclass, find something that's worth learning or whatever, just to get perspective. That's a really, really good point. It is that perspective, um, Mm -hmm. taking and, and, and building when you, when you check out, um, one of my practices, and I don't know if it's technically mindfulness, but at least once a day, um, I will pause, intentionally pause between meetings. And I have a pile of books here that, that I switch up sort of once a month, but I'll just grab a book and I'll open it to a random page and I'll read for two minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are books about leadership or they are books about, you know, 
anything else. They're not all about my, the work that I work in. Um, and sometimes it's just, oh, interesting. Sometimes it's a way to take my mind off of, you know, something else. And oftentimes there's new learning or new awareness that is tied to an idea I had or a problem I was trying to solve. It allows me to think differently. Um, so is that a form of mindfulness? I love that. Um, I would say, yes, for me, it's again, perspective taking capacity. Right. And your ability, um, I, I really like that. I think what a simple, what a simple, beautiful habit that you've got. Um, the thing I often find too is um, I, I, as an Australian, I live in San Francisco um, and I've been here for, for about eight years, but we were never as Australians encouraged to pay attention to our emotions on any level. Mm. And something I've been practicing maybe for the last eight years is, is starting to frequently sit down and just name my emotions. Yes. What, what are my emotions? Oh, right now I'm feeling a little anxious. Oh, I'm noticed. Uh, I'm feeling a little apprehensive about, you know, whatever it might be or uh, whether they're positive or negative. And that, that, again, is a mindfulness practice that helps us because when we name our emotions, we actually uh, can shift. We make sense of what we're going through and we shift from our amygdala to our prefrontal cortex. Mm. So, you know, also humour. Humor, it's, it's very difficult to be anxious and laughing at the same time. So the, how, what can we do to bring a sense of humor and levity? Because, again, that, that brings perspective. Yes. Oh, my gosh, we need to laugh more. If we can mm. even just, you know, pop a funny video into a meeting, right, or do something. It can only take, it doesn't have to take long at the beginning of your meeting to have a good laugh together. Exactly. Right. What a, that feeling, it's just, it feels so great to laugh. Mm -hmm. Um, What about the power of thoughts? You know, as you talk about emotions, um, what's coming up for me, it was just this morning, my, my 11 year old, almost 11 year old um, was scrambling to do all of his homework at the last minute at seven Mm -hmm. o'clock this morning. And he started, you know, complaining about being sick and and having a really sore tummy and a really bad headache. And so I began asking him, okay, what are you telling yourself right now? What are you thinking about right now? Right? What are the words you're using in your head right now? And it took a little while to get him to talk about it, but it was, I don't know how to finish my homework. What if I don't finish it? What if I get in trouble? I shouldn't have waited this long. And he was, you know, berating himself. Um, and so it was a really interesting opportunity to begin to create that awareness with an 11 year old Mm. about our thoughts and how they affect us physically and emotionally. Mm. And so can you tell us a little bit about how you help leaders recognize their self-talk to a degree Mm. or... Mm. Okay. Well, first of all, I really like that you're doing with it with your 11 year old and almost 11 year year old. (laughs) And, um... Uh, one of the things that I've actually found is, um, this might seem a bit odd, but um, I used to be very, very thinking based in all of my work. And um, I'm naturally, you know, that I'm oriented that way. And what I've actually found over the years is that I try these days to not pay too much attention to the thoughts until I've actually had the person really name all of the feelings. Okay. Because unless I know what their feelings are, I won't know what problem they're solving. 
uh, and they won't know. So what that will normally look like is I was working with a man who was um, who was going through a lot of emotions last week, and he might have had ended up with twenty different emotions that he was talking. But basically, uh, by naming all of them, you know, what are we worrying about here? Is are, are we feeling overwhelmed? Are we feeling scared? Uh, you know, I'm thinking of your child. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but you'll normally find that, and some of the emotions can be neutral or positive as well. But normally you'll find that when you hit upon the real emotion, oh, I'm feeling ashamed or I'm feeling Mm. embarrassed, then you'll know because the person's shoulders will start to drop, like their their posture will start to relax. It's like they've hit something. And that's when you'll know, okay, this is the real problem we're solving here. So if I'm looking to solve a problem, I'm going to come at it differently. Are they scared or are they ashamed? Okay, so now we know what problem we're solving, then what do we do about it? Um, and then, and then I'd be inclined to start looking at, yeah, yes. What are the, what are some of the beliefs they're holding? What are some of the concerns they have? Wow, that's powerful. I just did a full mind shift, like a full mental shift. There, um, have some oh. new awareness. So, thank you, Catherine. Um, naming your emotions, getting really clear mm. on what you're feeling, um, um, mm. as part of the, you know, problem solving, so to speak. Absolutely approach. Well, Absolutely. Almost naming the emotions, I find, is having people pay attention to it. This is also a mindfulness practice in a sense of like paying attention to the body, Um, being able to uh, not look to change their feelings, but just to Mm -hmm. uh, validate them. Um, Yeah, I I find that that's, you know, 75% of the job. (laughs) Because Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's hard to reason with someone that's in their amygdala. That's why I don't really bother going, trying to reason with someone that's still in their um, amygdala. Well, let's explore that a little bit more when we get back, because I do feel, and I'm, I'm, I'm in this camp sometimes, that sometimes we won't even go there. We won't even ask, how are you? Or, you know, uh, get, get into a, a vulnerable conversation out of fear of, what if I can't fix it? Right. Mm. And, and it's not about the fixing. That's not our job as leaders. Right. And so we'd love to explore that further when we come back from break. So stay tuned. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play finding your frequency podcast on TuneIn. Would you like a complimentary strategy session with Leading on Purpose host, Nicole Bendeley? Nicole and her team have been making it possible for leaders to achieve exceptional results with ease for over 40 years. Nicole will help you to discover what's getting in your team's way from even better results and will share with you the simple practices that will make a big difference to your performance and theirs. Visit kand.co slash strategy and book your session with Nicole today. That's kand.co slash strategy. Leading a team today can be hard, but it doesn't have to be a struggle. With Kenco's self-paced e-course, leading high-performance teams, you'll gain everything you need to build the cohesion 
communication, and engagement needed for your team to thrive. Right now, save 30% off the e-course. Plus, Nicole, host of Leading on Purpose, is including two coaching sessions with her at no extra charge. Use promo code VA30 when you visit kand.co slash e-course. That's promo code VA30. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned into Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. Find out more about Nicole and her company, K&Co, and check out her suite of leadership tools and resources at kand.co. Now, back to Leading on Purpose. Hi there. Welcome back. So we're going to explore a little bit more with Catherine around, you know, emotional states. So we were talking before break about the importance of recognizing, understanding, naming our emotions. And that's important for self, right? And it's just as important as a leader to to lean in and have those conversations with team members or the team as a whole um, in understanding where people are at. And I find, and, and Catherine, you jump in here, I find that more often than not, people are uncomfortable mm-hmm. diving in or leaning in and having conversations about how people are feeling for fear of what if I can't fix it for them. Yes, yes, absolutely. Oh, wow, there's there's so much here um, that's coming up as, as you raise this. And, you know, something that I, I remember seeing a few years ago was that people start to heal the moment they feel heard. Mm. And, and so frequently we think of leadership coaching as being like a strategy and how do we get people to perform at their best and all this sort of stuff. And yes, 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 that's important. But the thing is, so frequently we think that it's not about dealing with the other side of things. And one of the things that I've found, uh, I'm sort of at the moment just feeling as though, gosh, where do I start? There are so many pathways into this. Um, I was working with um, a leader. Um, sometimes I do triad coaching, which is when I have, for example, the leader and their direct report on the call together. And, you know, for example, two people that work together because I have separate coaching relationships with each of them and, and then to get them together. And um, this was a, this happened very recently, but um, a leader was dealing with one of his um, most important people in the organisation for him. And... You could see the CEO's frustration about having to have any kind of sense of how this person was feeling. And this, mm. this is a very, very high-functioning, intelligent person that they're working with. Um, and I got the very strong sense that it was because the CEO didn't know how to respond. Right. And, okay, what am I meant to do with this information? Um, so one of the things I encourage people to do is – First of all, don't think that just because you're not talking about the emotions that they're not there, that they're going to go away. Um, the most useful thing you can actually do to have the emotions go away is to ha- is, it's what I call taking out the trash. It's like, okay, what's there? What's present? What's coming up for you? Because, again, as soon as people have actually expressed how they're truly feeling, the actual release starts to happen. 
And so the more frequently we can take out, what are we feeling? Okay, I'm feeling conflicted. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling unsupported. I'm feeling judged, whatever it might be. Um, the, the healing actually starts then. The other beautiful thing I find as a result of having people name their emotions and even being able to model that for our team as well is that as soon as people feel truly help, heard, um, they will actually start to become, you'll know that the healing has happened because they will start to become resourceful mm. and they will start to say, ah, oh, okay, so, well, I guess we've tried this and, and now we can try that or what do I need to do next? Right. And they will, they will actually start to put themselves back on the train tracks independently. Um, and so it takes away a lot of the burden for the leader as well because if the, the leader can listen to how that person feels, that person will start to self-manage the way they need to. It's so powerful and so many examples come to mind, you know, when we think about, you know, leading a team through change, right? Mm -hmm. A big change that's being, let's say, imposed on the team. The team yeah. didn't have a say in it, right? Yeah. And, and, and too often, um, you know, I hear stories of or I'm working with teams where they're just told, well, it is what it is. It's not changing. So let's move on, mm -hmm. right? And without any opportunity to express, yes. to vent, to share fears um, in a safe way, not for the purpose of fixing anybody or, or solving their fears, but mm -hmm. for the purpose of hearing each other and being heard mm -hmm. and, and understood and acknowledged. Exactly. And so is that exactly what you're saying? You know, if Absolutely. we make that peace, people will, mm -hmm. they, those emotions don't go away. Exactly, exactly. What they turn into, I mean, I'm so glad you're raising this because what they turn into if they're unexpressed is they turn into baggage and they turn into a dead weight. And the this I feel like I'm sort of speaking, you know, uh, I, I've kind of, you know, this is all related to, to leadership, even though it might not feel like it, you know. Um, Absolutely. But uh, one of the things I frequently see in organisations is um, what I refer to as unprocessed grief. And mm. it's like the unprocessed grief of what about the launch that failed? What about the product we uh, created that, you know, was a dud? Uh, what about, you know, what about the attrition and the people that we've lost? And, and normally, like, if, if these things aren't addressed, and there's two ways, there's a two-step process I use to basically tidy up these loose endings, um, which I'll share in a moment. But if these things aren't addressed and validated and honoured and, and given a decent burial, they will tend to drag on and be unprocessed grief and the organisation will become stuck. So when we have a stuck organisation, it's normally because there's unprocessed grief. Mm. Can you walk us through that process? It's yeah. so important. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. Well, it comes back to um, William Bridges' work on transitions. I was just going to say, yeah. is this tied to William Bridges? Okay, well, it is. It is William Bridges. <laughs> He's such a godsend. Yes, and um, the thing is, uh, William Bridges wrote a book uh, called Transitions. And, um, you know, there's a couple of books out there by him and, and he's, he's passed now. But um, I... The three stages of transition are endings, then the neutral phase, and then the new beginnings. And normally people assume they're always in the new, in the new beginnings, but frequently they haven't yet tidied up the endings or they're flailing about in the neutral zone or the neutral phase in between. Um, but what I like to do with people and with teams is like, what are the things that we need to tidy up from the endings? 
And the way that we tidy up endings is twofold. The first thing is like, let's name, let's name the emotions. Let's name the emotions. Oh, we've got grief. We've got disappointment. We've got anger that we wasted all our time building this new product or whatever. It's like all the emotions. And so once they're all out on the table and is there anything else? Is there anything else? Is there anything else? And mm. once people have emptied out, they will start to come good again, as I've mentioned. And then the second step of that is to squeeze the experience for the learnings. It's like, what did you learn? What did you learn? What did you learn? And normally people have got some pretty profound learnings. When you ask them to squeeze a bad experience or any experience for the learnings, I look at it as like juicing an orange. It's like you juice that orange, you get the juice, and then you throw the rest of it over your shoulder. And what people get from looking at what are all the learnings you've gained is two things. First of all, they don't have to repeat the mistakes in future. They can actually sort of springboard. But secondly, it allows them to leave the experience behind them. And I find it so simple. And uh, if organizations were to do this more often, they'd be able to move on with far less baggage. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's interesting you know, you know who does this really well? I don't know if it, it includes it. I don't think it includes the emotional part, but it's certainly the learning part and the debriefing is the military. Mm. They actively debrief. Yeah, very nice. And the, you know, the leaders, you know, um, set the tone by saying everything is on the table, right? Yes. Everything. What went wrong? What should we do differently? What did we do really well? And the leaders start by saying, this is what I did, should have done differently, right? And that's powerful Um, as the leader, like you said, role modeling, right? Exactly. Role model, name how you're feeling. Yes. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Leaders are people too, and our team members forget that. Sometimes we don't act like people who have real emotions because we're hiding them all the time. Exactly. I really, I really think, thank you for sharing that. You know, that, that really gives an extra, you know, lens for me to look at this through as well. And the thing I find is that um, I find that when people have true deep self-confidence, when they, when they really know, you know what, I'm really good at what I do and I'm not good at everything and mm-hmm. th- they will be more will- willing to be vulnerable. Because when you have healthy self-esteem, healthy self-esteem means, you know, I, I really believe in myself. I'm not perfect, but I'm really great at this stuff and I'm okay with my vulnerabilities and my weaknesses and I'm still enough. And so the leaders that truly have self high and healthy self-esteem are the ones that can model that vulnerability and that willingness to take responsibility for what they could have done differently. Absolutely. And, yeah. Oh, it's so important. And so... I want to tie this back to our present time in COVID. So what does all of this mean? You know, the, the being vulnerable, um, leading self and being mindful in, in our emotional states and, and the energy that we're bringing to our team, mm-hmm. what we're focusing on, all of the great insights you shared with us. You know, how does this all apply to leading during COVID? How is leading different? How is leading um, today different than it was a year ago? Mm. Wow, it's so different. Um, first of all, the presence we bring has to be pretty deeply embedded because there are no um, natural advantages in terms of, you know, where is your office or what floor are you on or things like that. I mean, you know, COVID is a great equalizer, Zoom is a great equalizer. 
So uh, the presence really matters, the willingness to sit with ambiguity, mm-hmm. the ability to say, I don't know, you know, anything could happen, uh, but how can, we, how can we continue to sharpen the saw and make sure that we're really good at what we do while we wait for more information? Um, the ability to be more compassionate um, and understanding of people that are suffering. Some people might be sort of living alone in a bed sit somewhere. They might have a highly paid job in a big city and that they're having to operate like a professional and they're all alone. And like, to, how do we have compassion and the willingness to spend a few extra minutes checking in? How, how are you doing? And, how, you know, how, how are your social connections going? How's your mental health? Um, so there is so much that is changing I don't believe we're ever going to go back to where we were. Yeah. I think that there is, uh, I think that people are being changed permanently by this. But I, I, I really believe that the, the things that challenge us to the most are the ones that we need. I love that. And, and, and as we move to close, Catherine, what's one hope or wish you have for our listeners? Um, I hope that you get curious about yourself, that you learn what you really care about as a leader, that you learn to find ways to show up congruently with who you truly are and that you take the time to understand your strengths and the areas where you need other people around you to support you and that you can give that same generosity and grace to the people around you and be okay with knowing that they have strengths and they have things that are absolutely wonderful and they don't have everything. Otherwise, none of us would have to work in teams at all, would we? Absolutely. So being able to look at what's beautiful about the people around you and be honest and gracious enough to be honest about the rest and, uh, you know, to address the other things that they need to work on. Thank you, Catherine. You know, what's coming to mind when you say that is that saying what you focus on grows right? When you focus on strengths mm-hmm. and, and focus on what you're already great at and, and the amazing qualities your team members already have, mm-hmm. um, make those the priority areas of focus, not to ignore everything else, but it's interesting yeah. how your, your perspective shifts when you focus on strengths and exactly. what you're grateful for, right? Exactly. exactly. And there are still things to be grateful for. Um, even during times of complexity like this. And I certainly am grateful for you, Catherine. Thank you for sharing yourself and and your knowledge and experience with us today. I am deeply appreciative of that. I've learned from you today and uh, you've helped me learn to, you know, become a bit of a better leader today just in this short time. So I really appreciate that. So thank you. Thank you, you, Nicole. Thank you for your wonderful insights as well. It's been wonderful to meet you. Absolutely. And uh, to the rest of you listening, thank you. Thank you for tuning in. I appreciate all of you so much. Um, Without you, I wouldn't be able to have guests like Catherine on and and share the love and share the knowledge. And and, uh, so I really would appreciate it if you would pass it on. If you would, if you find the podcast helpful, please like it, follow it, share it so we can share... um, knowledge with as many leaders and people as possible. Because as you know, my whole mission is to help as many leaders to thrive more and struggle less as possible. And I need your help to do that. So thank you all. And until next week, have a great week. 
Thank you for joining us this week. Please tune in again for another edition of Leading on Purpose with your host, Nicole Bendeley, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a wonderful week. 